Thank you for tuning in. My name is Noah Heffel, and today I'm going to be discussing the trials Odysseus went through on his journey to reestablish his oikos. I will also give my input on what I feel was the most dangerous and then discuss why. Um, so we're going to start. Overall, we're just going to go through books 10, 11, and 12. And to start, we'll start with book 10, obviously. So we'll start with the Bag of Winds at Aeolus' house. Um, Aeolia is a floating island surrounded by walls of indestructible stone. Aeolus has 12 children, 6 boys and 6 girls, and... Uh, it's a little weird, but he married off the six girls to the six boys. Uh, Odysseus was there for a month. Um, Aeolus gifted Odysseus a bag made of the hide of an ox, nine years old, which Aeolus had skinned himself. Uh, in this bag was the wild winds. Zeus made Aeolus the keeper of winds to do with as he wished. Uh, and Aeolus sent Odysseus, Odysseus' ship off with the west wind behind them. So, nine days and nine nights they sailed, and on the tenth could see land so close to the land they could even see their fires. Uh, then Odysseus fell asleep and his crew began questioning what was in the bag. They thought maybe it was gold or silver or some, types of, some type of luxury gift from Aeolus. They thought that Odysseus was hiding something from them. Uh, the ignorant crew opened the bag and out poured the winds, sending them all the way back to Aeolia where they found Aeolus, he was certainly not pleased to see them again. Uh, Aeolus screamed at Odysseus and his crew and was convinced that Odysseus was the most cursed man that he had ever seen. <clears throat> that was their first destination. And now we come along their second destination. Um, their second destination was the land of the Laestri... Laestrigonians. Sorry for my pronunciations. Uh, this was a glorious place surrounded by silver, uh, surrounded by sheer cliffs. The crew split up to find the king of this land. With all help, they managed to find him eventually. His name was Antiphates. And he did not mess around. This man was strictly business, as I'll get into in a little bit. He even made one of the crew members into dinner, which is sick. Uh, the other two men ran, which was, it was a group of three men. And the other two men that were not eaten ran from Antifates and back to the ship. Uh, Antifates sent out a warning throughout the city, and the city basically broke out into chaos. And uh, before Odysseus's crew even knew it, thousands of Laestrigonians, 
a.k.a. the Giants, through boulder-sized rocks from the cliffs. Huge rocks, rocks that men couldn't even pick up if they wanted to. Um, men from ships screaming for mercy, and the Laestrogeans spearing them like fish and having them for dinner. Yeah, so, I mean, these are just giant animals, basically. Crazy. But um, Odysseus manages to get his crew out of there. The other, the ones that got speared like fish and were eating for dinner were not part of his crew, besides the first man who got eaten up by the king. And um, as I mentioned, Odysseus, quick with his thinking and quick on his feet, got his men out of there. I personally think Odysseus is um, he's a great leader. I mean, he seems to always try and put his crew first and not himself. Obviously, obviously he wants to get home, but... Okay, <clears throat> now we move on to their third destination. And remember that this is all in uh, Book 10 of the Odyssey. Um, their third destination... Destination... Circe. Once they arrived to the island known as Aea, they laid on their ship for two days and two nights. They ate their hearts out during those two days and nights. Basically ate, it. Basically ate everything they had. They drank all the wine. <clears throat> and on the third day, Odysseus left the ship and saw the house of Circe, but did not want to go alone. Remember, Odysseus is smart. So he headed back to the ship, and on his way, killed a marvelous stag for his men. So, the third night was similar to the first two. And they feasted and got drunk again. So basically, right now, they're just sitting on their ship, eating their lives away, drinking their lives away. Odysseus' crew was still shaken up from the scene with the giants. And who wouldn't be? I mean, you just had, especially the two guys that witnessed their crew may just get eaten alive. <clears throat> Odysseus, so, so this is what happens next after they uh, start drinking all this wine and get drunk. Odysseus sent a crew out, and they found Cersei's house. This is the next day, where she was inside singing. Great songs. I mean, she was she's beautiful. She had a beautiful voice. Um, she let them in. They they hollered out. They saw her, or they didn't see her yet, but they came up to her door and could hear that someone was inside. And they hollered into her, and uh, they were let inside. But one of Odysseus's men felt like this was a trap. Take notes. It was a trap. Once inside, she laced their drinks with a potion that made them forget their homelands. So, it sounds like she drugged them even more than what they were. Drunked up fools. <clears throat> uh, once drunk, she struck them with her wand and turned them into pigs. But their minds were still intact. Now imagine that. Imagine being any animal. Anything, basically, besides a house pet. I mean, it's I, we, it's ironic that they were turning to pigs because, I mean, 
They were acting like pigs the two nights before, eating everything in sight, just laying around, getting drunk. But imagine being an animal, a farm animal like a pig, in the mud, eating whatever they eat, but still having your brain. That, it's just crazy to me. Odysseus was told about this uh, and went to free his men. But before he got to Circe, he met Hermes, who talked him through what to do and how to free them. After Odysseus made all well with Circe, he eventually asked to leave. And that is when she informed him that he must make the journey to the house of Hades. Odysseus was not happy about this. And um, basically how Odysseus freed the men was that uh, he was given, I want to say, he was given a little potion of his own from Hermes. And uh, he ate that so that when he was uh, drugged by her, it didn't have the same effect. And uh, he was told to run at her with his sword and that she would get scared and invite him into bed. And I mean, reading that at first, it's kind of like, okay, of course, like, she's going to invite him into bed. But that, I mean, that's exactly what happened is she got scared. She hugged his knees and asked who he was. And then she invited him into bed. And then uh, he was there for about a month, I believe. And then he eventually asked to leave. And uh, that's when she informs him that he must journey to the house of Hades, which is, I mean, it's the underworld. It's basically hell. Um, Odysseus was not pleased to hear this. The crew was not pleased to hear this. I mean, heck, nobody would be pleased to hear this, that before this goddess sends you on your way and gives you the, the layout of where you need to go to get home. You have to do something for her first, and that is journey to the house of Hades. Okay, <clears throat> so now we're going to start, we're going to dive into Book 11. Um, book 11 is basically just the underworld. It uh, focuses just on the house of Hades. I'm actually going to start with reading a passage from Book 11, which uh, describes how uh, Odysseus or Odysseus got to the underworld. And uh, this was told to him by Circe from Book 11. This is uh, Book 11 in the Odyssey, page 158, and it begins on line... 23. There, Pyramidus and Eurylochus held the victims while I dug an L square pit with my sword and poured libation to all the dead, first with milk and honey, then with sweet wine, and a third time with water. Then I sprinkled white barley and prayed to the looming dead, vowing sacrifice on Ithaca, a barren heifer, the herd's finest, 
and rich gifts on the altar, and to Tiresias alone a great black ram. After these supplications to the spirits, I cut the sheep's throat over the pit, and the dark blood pooled over there. So that's basically how... Um, it's kind of like he's opening this like passageway to um, the underworld. Now here Odysseus speaks first with a crew member who was drunk and fell off Circe's house. Uh, in book 11 it mentions this, or uh, excuse me, book 10. It mentions that he was drunk and climbed upon the roof and basically forgot he was up there and he heard uh, the other men downstairs forgot he was up there and just walked right off the roof basically broke his neck uh, he broke his neck and his soul went down to Hades is what it says and uh, his name was Elpinor uh, and this was the first person that uh, Odysseus spoke with and the crew member just asked for a simple request. Uh, he did not want to be forgotten, and he wanted to be burned with his armor. I mean, that's pretty simple. He just he didn't want to be left behind, and Odysseus understood that he. It was one of those things where it's like, he didn't get the proper burial. He didn't really get anything that a dead man deserves, especially someone who. friends I mean he's your friend if your friend dies you're going to want to bury him and make sure he gets a proper burial so I think that was reasonable um, the second man he spoke with was the man he came for uh, this is who CRC wanted him to speak with and it was his name is Theban Tiresias Tiresias uh, spoke great wisdom to Odysseus and explain to him what needed to be done. Uh, he explained to him what needed to be done to even have a chance at making it home. Um, and he goes through a long, uh, basically, not, I don't want to say list, but a guide. And I'll get into that in, when I talk about uh, book 12, because it goes over really all that. And um, something that stood out to me was that even though uh, Tiercias tells him these important things that need to be done for him to get home, uh, he says this to him, uh, nothing even related to what was just said to him. But he says, this Odysseus speaking, I see the ghost of my dead mother sitting in silence besides the beside the blood, and she cannot bring herself to look her son in the eyes or speak to him. Uh, and I'm actually going to read that conversation between Odysseus and his mother. Uh, it's on page 162 in book 11. Let's see where it starts. She says, this is Odysseus' mother. My child, 
How did you come to the undergloom while you are still alive? It is hard for the living to reach these shores. There are many rivers to cross, great bodies of water, nightmarish streams, and ocean itself, which cannot be crossed on foot, but only in a well-built ship. Are you still wandering on your way back from Troy? A long time at sea with your ship and your men? Have you not yet come to Ithaca, or seen your wife in your halls? So, I mean, that just points out to me, that is really, that one passage right there, that's not all I'm going to read, but I'm just going to, this uh, mid-thought, it just, that really just points out how dangerous his journey is. To me, at least, it says, there are many rivers to cross, great bodies of water, nightmarish streams, and ocean itself which cannot be crossed on foot, but only in a well-built ship. Uh, so, so she spoke, so I'm continuing the conversation now, and I, Odysseus, answered, Mother, I came here because I had to, to consult the ghost of the prophet Tiresias. I have not come to the coast of Achaia, Achaia, or set foot on my own land. I have had nothing but hard travels from the day I set sail with Lord Agamemnon to go to Ilion, famed for its horses, to fight the Trojans. But tell me truly, how did you die? Was it a long illness, or did Artemis shoot you suddenly with her gentle arrows? And tell me about my father and my son, whom I left behind. Does the honor I, I had still remain with them, or has it passed to some other man? And do they all say I will never return? And what about my wife? What has she decided? What does she think? Is she still with my son, keeping things safe? Or has someone already married her, whoever is now the best of the Achaeans? So reading that passage right there, really... Um, I think that is when I really started to get, like, realize Odysseus is, was, he's just another man. Uh, I mean, he loves, you can, you can hear it. He asked, um, where does it say? How did you die? Um. Tell me about my father and my son, whom I left behind. Uh, it shows that he misses them. And, I mean, this is when it, I think the story flips as to when we realize that Odysseus just wants to get home to his oikos and reestablish his oikos. And um, I'll get into it a little later, but just a heads up. I think that his journey to the underworld was his toughest journey. I'll get into that right now, but I'll explain in a little bit. Uh, and then it goes on to continue the conversation. And the, the one part I really want to get to is, uh, this is his mother speaking again, where he lies in his sorrow, nursing his grief, longing for your return, speaking about his dad. His old age is hard. 
I died from the same grief. The keen-eyed goddess did not shoot me at home with her gentle shafts, nor did any long illness waste my body away. No, it was longing for you, my glorious Odysseus, for your gentle heart and your gentle ways that robbed me of my honey-sweet life. That's another thing that really just makes me like Odysseus more as a man is that if people miss you, then you can't be a bad human being. Like, I know it's his mother, but she is longing for him to come home. She she has so much grief that it kills her. So, Odysseus, so that just made me like Odysseus even more because I have a good relationship with my mom. And to think that I'm away at college right now, and if she missed me as much as Odysseus' mom missed her, or missed him, excuse me, then my mom would be dead. I guess if we're gonna, if it's gonna be the same situation, I certainly hope not. I hope she misses me, but I guess not that much. Okay, and then so to his, continue his journey in the underworld. Um, he questions others uh, as well, but I feel like this part in the book was huge for Odysseus' character. Uh, I, yeah, I just really felt like this part was, he's, he's been through a lot of physical, physical tests, but I think him going through a, a mental test where he had to see his mother dead speak with her and it reminded him of home and then he also comes across uh the ghost of achilles and he talks with odysseus and he praises him at first achilles does on page 172 and i think this was hard for him too because odysseus looked up i don't want to say looked up because they were both great men but he admired um odysseus or Achilles, and this is what Achilles says about Odysseus. He says, son of Laertes, in the line of Zeus, Odysseus, you hard rover, not even you can ever top this, this bold foray into Hades, home of the witless dead and the dim phantoms of men outworn. I think, I don't know, I feel like this is just kind of like if I were to see one of my old baseball teammates after not seeing them for a while, they just kind of give you that little banter, and this is just kind of Achilles, like, playful banter with Odysseus, like, man, you dirty dog, how'd you get down here? Like, you, uh, you, you're tricky, man. Uh, and then they chat for a while, and it's obvious Odysseus was fond of Achilles. I mean, we read in the books, and then it says, right under that passage that I just read, it says, this is a quote from Odysseus, Achilles. By far the mightiest of the Achaeans, I have come here to consult Tereus. So really, I just wanted to read that first line, which is on page 172, line 498. It says, Achilles, by far the mightiest of the Achaeans. And um, Odysseus is someone that every, like, I mean, we read this book and everyone is fond of Odysseus. 
I mean, they just they just have nothing but good things to say about them. Besides the suitors, I guess. They don't really have anything good to say. But And for him to say that about Achilles, I just think that was... Shows what a man Achilles is, too. And I think that that's it, really, for Book 11. I mean, he he speaks with a bunch more of uh, the ghosts, but the, the ones that really stood out to me was, um, besides what he went there for, the one that really stuck out to me was his mom and then Achilles, because I feel like those two are emotional ties to Odysseus, which... Uh, we kind of only get to see him as this strong, uh, smart man at first. And then I think going to the underworld and seeing um, his mother and a former, someone he used to fight with, or next fight next to, I guess for this better way to put it, really strikes him in a different uh, manner. It's that emotional tie that I think is really important about why I think the underworld was his toughest task. Okay. Now, last but not least, uh, we're going to discuss, discuss book 12. Uh, and it begins with, um, Odysseus and his crew going back to Cersei's. Uh, after the underworld, they return as planned. Uh, Cersei embraces them with open arms this time and requests they eat and drink all day, then sail at dawn. I don't know about you, but I know Odysseus won her over and uh, forced her to swear by the gods and make an oath that she was not going to do anything to harm them. But I'm still not trusting this, this girl. But, I mean, they do, and uh, while they're there, Cersei is going to inform Odysseus about what he will encounter on his route uh, to Ithaca. And uh, she does this so that he does not give up. Basically, she tells him that he just needs he's going to need to stay strong and that he's going to have trials. And that if he pushes through and follows what she says, that he should, he should... Slim chance. You keep telling him that, that it's a slim chance, but he should make it home. Um, so she warns Odysseus about the sirens, um, and she tells Odysseus to have his crew put wax in their ears and to tie him to the front of the ship where he will listen to the siren songs. And uh, the songs sang by the sirens are supposedly these these songs that are I mean they just captivate men and they engulf them basically not in a of not like you're engulfed by a wave but I mean kinda you're just, you're just kinda trapped just kinda trapped uh, and then she informs him that after the songs of the sirens, uh, he'll have to choose from two paths. Uh, 
and I'm going to focus on the, the important path, which is uh, the second route she describes. And uh, she begins with talking about, um, this is Circe, she begins with talking about the layer of Scylla. Scylla is a monster with 12 gangly legs and six very long necks. And on each neck sits a blood-curdling head, each with three rows of close-set teeth full of black death. Now that is crazy. Imagine that. 12 gangly legs, four more than an octopus, and six very long necks. Each, each have a blood-curdling head, and each of those heads have three rows of close-set teeth full of black death. Yeah, that's a monster. I've ever read one or heard of one. And then, directly across from Scylla, lies a lower rock. So, uh, as it was described in Book 12, is he's going to choose this path. And it's like, it's like a narrow passageway as if you were sailing through, uh, like a, I want to say, valley may not be the right word, but you sound through these, this narrow passageway where it's just rock on one side and rock on the other side. And on one side, it's Sisla. And then directly across from her, a little bit lower, is where Charybdis lies. And she sucks down the black water. And she she sucks it down. I believe it says she does it. She'll do it three times. Sucks it down. And then lets it out. Sucks it up. Lets it out. She's heck. I think that would be a scary one. but uh, And then, so, believe it or not, she actually tells Odysseus to stay closer to Sisla. Because Sisla will only kill six crew members and not the whole crew like Charybdis will do. Because she'll, she sucks up all the water and then the ship is just basically sitting on the, sitting on sand or whatever, the rock that's at the bottom of the ocean. And then that's the whole crew. And Odysseus is like, Odysseus basically, being the good leader he is, he's like, well, isn't there a way that I can... I can save all of them. And Circe gets kind of upset with him. And she's like, listen, just follow these rules. It's better to lose six than everyone and your own life. Which, I mean, I agree with. In an ethical, if it was an ethical thing, you'd rather lose six than 20 or however many crew members he has. Um, and then... Uh, she informs him that 
his next wandering, his next little journey after he makes it, if he does make it through um, the narrow passage between Scylla and uh, Trybdis, uh, would be past Helios's cattle. And these cattle never die or never have young. They have amazing horns. They're just amazing animals. There's a twist. However, all they had to do was to leave them unbothered. And if they could do that, then they may still have a chance to make it home. So, knowing Odysseus's crew, when I first read this, you're just kind of like, okay, well, here's his crew again, just like the bags of winds. The bag of winds, like, they're going to mess something up. And that's their perfect opportunity when they when they get to the cattle they're not supposed to eat. Uh, but I'll get to that in a little bit. So they faced these dangers just as Circe had said they would. The crew kept their composure past the sirens and journeyed between Scylla and Charybdis. Scylla snatched up Odysseus' six strongest men, just like Circe said. The rest of the crew sailed on, and when they saw the island of the warmth-giving sun, they were relieved. Relieved until Odysseus told them they could not stop, because he was warned to leave the cattle alone. And then, basically, Odysseus' whole crew, they kind of freak out on him, because, I mean, they've been sailing, and they, they want to stop, and they outnumber him. And Odysseus' uh, right-hand man, basically his best sailmate, Eurylochus, kind of leads this like little rebellion against their their captain, and uh, and they demand they stop, and uh, they do. They end up stopping, and. These men, I mean, they have so much food that they have so much food and, and wine on their ship, but they end up eating it all like the pigs they are, like like they were turned into. And I mean, it's just typical of that they have such a good leader and Odysseus, they keep nah, disobeying him and and like undermining him basically and they just can't act right and then so uh, they once they they basically eat up all the food and then Odysseus decides to um, go pray he uh, goes on this little journey kind of up a hill and off by himself and he uh decides to pray to the gods and ends up falling asleep. And this is when his men slip up. And uh, led by Eurylochus, who is Odysseus' strongest sailmate, Odysseus' uh, strongest crew member, um, they end up eating the cattle. And Helios was anything but pleased. Helios 
asked Zeus then to punish Odysseus' companions, and Zeus informs him that he will strike their ship with lightning and shatter it to bits. Like, all they had to do was not eat the cattle. But these men once again put themselves and Odysseus in harm's way. And, yeah, and now Zeus is out for him even more, and he's going to shatter the ship, and when the god says he's going to do something, more than likely he's going to do it. They walk the walk, they just don't talk the talk. Uh, so, once the crew set sail seven days later, Zeus did exactly as he promised. The crew was devoured and killed, and Odysseus floated for nine days, and on the tenth night, washed up on Calypso's island. And that's, uh, basically kind of where we leave that, because that's a, kind of a different story, but, uh, not a different story, but. So now I'll get into why I think, uh, the underworld was his toughest journey. I kind of touched on it a little bit, but I feel like it was his toughest journey because he had, it, it's that emotional tie that he dealt with. The, the one, especially with his mother, I think that is a huge one. Um, just because, I mean, all these other ones are yeah, his, he cares about his crew, but I feel like the amount of times that they uh, undermine him and um, they just act up, they act out, he cares that, I mean, obviously he cares when they die or if six of them die or when the one got eaten alive. But when he sees his mom speaks to her and he can't hug her I just feel like that's a different type of pain it's a, it's a that's a different type of struggle and I just feel like that's really when he when he kind of is like okay it's time to kind of flip a little switch and and remember why I'm going home and um, basically like what I should expect when I get home because he heck he didn't even know his mom was dead so now he kind of puts into his head like what else could be going on at his oikos. And then we, as we read further in, we understand that obviously the suitors are acting up and he has to disguise himself for a, a, a little bit and then he uh, shoots the arrow in the, in the little contest that Penelope holds. But yeah, I just feel like he's this man amongst what I would call children. I'm sure they were all... I call them children for their actions, not for their because of their looks or 
their build. But um, he's this man that, especially, I just think the mom is the big one. And then he, Achilles, someone that he looks up to, really brings him back into this, this family-oriented uh, kind of thing. And for me, at least, the first thing, first thing that pops into my head when I think of family is home and my oikos. And because that's where your family is. They are at your home. And, and I guess that kind of goes forward. May not be blood. Family to some people may not mean blood. But it's wherever your family is. <laughs>